Welcome to Max Politics. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. We are in the swing of things here. Early voting is underway, and we are just a few days from primary day, June 22nd. I hope everyone listening is either voted already or getting ready to vote. As I said, early voting is underway. If you are like many New Yorkers and not quite ready to cast your ballot yet, then you have some time. You have early voting hours the next several days through Sunday. Monday, there's no voting unless you're doing it by absentee ballot. And then Tuesday is primary day. Now, I will give a warning here. I think that Tuesday is going to be a big, a bit of a tough day at polling sites. I think we're going to see a lot of people waiting till Tuesday to vote. And with the launch of ranked choice voting, I think that's going to make things more complicated for people in the voting booth. And there's going to be some longer lines. You know, people are just first seeing the ranked choice voting, perhaps. You should look it up ahead of time, of course, and know what you're doing. But I think there's going to be some people who haven't looked it up, who are just uh, getting a feel for it, that you can rank up to five options in these primaries for virtually every seat that will be on your ballot. That's not true for things like the Manhattan District Attorney primary, because that's technically a state seat. But all the city government offices, mayor, controller, public advocate, borough president, city council, those are all ranked choice voting now for the primaries. And I do think there will be some long lines and some uh, some waits at polling sites. So words of the wise, I would say, is try to vote early if you can. Try to get your minds made up. Even if you're voting on Saturday or Sunday this weekend, I would advise that because I do think given the fact that. A lot of people haven't been paying close attention and might be waiting until primary day, plus the long ballots that we have with so many candidates to choose from in so many offices, which in it, in their own way is a positive, of course. There's going to be a little bit of confusion under the new ranked choice system. You have new chances. If you mess up your ballot, you can redo it. I'm assuming there's going to be a bunch of that happening at poll sites. We saw that actually with mayoral candidate Maya Wiley herself made some sort of small error on her ballot um, because you have to line up the candidate name with where you're ranking them in the preference. Uh, I, I went to see Maya Wiley vote in Brooklyn where she went to vote for herself the other day and she had to redo one of her two pages of her ballot. So all that to underscore the point. I highly recommend if you can to vote early. But hopefully, no matter what, no matter when you're voting, you're getting ready to vote. The only people who can't vote, of course, who are registered and eligible voters are those who are not affiliated with the Republican or Democratic Party. I think there's one or two conservative party, uh, a couple other uh, primaries at different points, uh, uh, spots in the city that you can look up. Everybody should obviously look up their polling site, look up their ballot. You can find all that through the New York City Board of Elections website and the poll site locator website. Find it all. See what's on your ballot. Registered Republicans, at the very least, have a mayoral primary, a two-candidate primary, so you have that choice there. And then sometimes there's other primaries, like in some seats on Staten Island, there's a Staten Island borough president primary on the Republican side as well, um, and a couple others across the city. So even for folks who are uh, registered Republicans, there's fewer choices, perhaps, but there's definitely a reason to get out and vote. And then the city's many, many, many more Democrats. There is a lot to vote on everywhere you live, basically. So make sure you're getting ready to vote and getting out there. This mayoral election, of course, is of huge consequence. And then there's many other important races. We've highlighted in the last couple of weeks two other 
really consequential races. That's for city controller, the city citywide chief fiscal officer, auditor in chief, uh, and other responsibilities in a very important citywide role. And then the Manhattan district attorney democratic primary, extremely important when it comes to law enforcement, criminal justice, criminal justice reform, and so on. Um, but the borough president races, there is a public advocate primary, even though incumbent Jamani Williams is probably a very, very heavy favorite. There still is a primary there where he's being challenged. Everybody's got a borough president primary, and then everybody's got a city council race to vote in, except a couple of incumbents are not being challenged at all. There's, there's only a handful of incumbents who are running again and not being challenged in the primary. So all that to say, get ready to vote. There's lots of resources out there. This is our last show before primary day, which is coming up on Tuesday. I'm going to be joined by two great guests today with a lot of experience in city government and politics. In just a couple minutes, I'll be joined by former city council speaker, Melissa Mark Viverito, who will give her thoughts on what she's seeing unfold in this election cycle in the mayoral race and some other races. And then a little later in the show, Joe Loda, the 2013 Republican nominee for mayor. Joe Loda has recently registered to vote as a Democrat, uh, in part because he left the Republican Party a while ago due to being a never Trump Republican and feeling like, uh, as he says it, the party left him and he had no choice but to uh, unenroll, disenroll from the Republican Party. I believe he stayed uh, as an independent for a while, but decided to register to vote as a Democrat to have his voice heard in this mayoral primary and other races. But more importantly than that, and, and we do discuss a little bit of that in the interview with Joe Loda, which I recorded just a little bit earlier today to accommodate his schedule. Uh, you know, beyond that, uh, he has some very interesting insights into what it means to be a mayor. Uh, Joe Loda ran for mayor, wasn't mayor himself, but he's a former deputy mayor. He ran the MTA, of course, so he worked up close and personal with uh, Mayor de Blasio, Governor Cuomo, obviously, as well, and saw that situation firsthand. So a lot of interesting thoughts on government and management and leadership from Joe Loda coming up later in the show. So do stay tuned for that. And as I said, just in a couple minutes, Melissa Mark Viverito, the former city council speaker, will join me for her thoughts on the election, including... What she sees in terms of the Latino vote in the city, this is a, obviously a, a very important mayoral election unfolding. There's uh, one high-profile uh, Latino candidate, Diane Morales, but her candidacy seems to have faded a bit as we look at probably a top four or five of the field right now coming down the home stretch, being Eric Adams, looking like he has a, a decent lead in the polling we've seen, although Catherine Garcia and Maya Wiley are either right near him. Catherine Garcia has had a poll or two where she's barely ahead of him. Andrew Yang is still sticking around. Uh, Maya Wiley has been surging a little bit recently. And then Scott Stringer is still polling from what we've seen in the, um, you know, in the high single digits into the double digits and is somewhere in the ballpark of that front runner group. But he seems to be fading a bit as well as a lot of the left has coalesced behind Maya Wiley, it seems, and Catherine Garcia. The polling shows her to have a significant amount of uh, support from progressives. So a lot to watch for here. Uh, candidates Ray McGuire, Sean Donovan, Diane Morales seem to be uh, struggling a bit in the home stretch. But I'll also say there, you never know. We don't know. We have some decent polling, but not a lot of great polling from the big pollsters 
we have a sampling from a variety of polls that that do show us a lot of the same things within within some margin. And what they're all showing us is we're seeing that real that foursome with Stringer maybe the fifth uh, hanging around and. Uh, a lot of undecided still. And so anybody can win this primary with ranked choice voting, especially as an added wrinkle. So everybody should get out and make their voices heard if you're eligible for this Democratic primary coming up. And before uh, we get to our guests for the show, I do want to point everybody, if you're struggling to find information on your uh, local races or just to know who's on your ballot or what's going on, I do want to point you to a great new website, electnyc.org. Electnyc.org is a project of Citizens Union Foundation, which is the publisher of Gotham Gazette. And it's sort of a tangential project to the work we do at Gotham Gazette. And we've contributed some of our work to this project. It's a big voter guide, helps you know what's on your ballot and where. So again, that's at electnyc.org. Many other resources out there. And we have obviously continued to provide a great deal of coverage at gothamgazette.com. They should check out as well, including some really interesting stories just in the last few days on the mayoral race, on the controller race, and so much more. All right. Well, I'm very happy now to welcome to the show former city council speaker, Melissa Mark Viverito. Uh, speaker Mark Viverito, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you so much for the invitation. Um, so as you're watching this election cycle unfold, we're just a few days from primary day. Early voting uh, has has begun. We're in the midst of it here. Um, how are you how are you sort of seeing this election cycle unfold? Do you think New Yorkers um, are are sort of getting what they need from the mayoral candidates, from the candidates in the down ballot races? Are there things missing from the conversation that you're not hearing, that you're frustrated by? How do you sort of capture the big picture here in terms of where the city's at and what you're hearing from candidates and whether you think, you know, you're sort of hearing enough from people about, um, you know, the needs of New Yorkers and the future of the city? You know, this is a, obviously it's been said a million times, a very interesting cycle in that there's so much new to it, right? And there's so much newness. You know, as I'm going out there and I am knocking on doors and I'm talking to my neighbors and people in the community. And, you know, I at least the ones I've been interacting with are expressing a lot of frustration. Um, one, I think rank choice. We obviously have to wait until all the results are in to really deliberate about what it has resulted in. Right. Negative, positive, et cetera. Uh, but, you know, the new aspect of voting is proving a little bit overwhelming. You know, I'm, I'm talking to a lot of middle aged, older voters in particular, uh, people that are saying, oh, no, I'm just going to vote for one person. That's it. And uh, two that still don't really know who they're focusing in on. Right. The name I, I have heard more frequently amongst those that I'm talking to is uh, Eric Adams. Uh, and and that I think people are just don't know what to do with the amount of information. They're getting barraged, right, with information yeah. and, and mailings and phone calls and texts and, you know, the ads. And there's just like a lot of negativity, I feel, too, personally. I'm, I'm a little frustrated mm-hmm. by that. I just think there's a lot of that back and forth and the negative and pulling down um, each other as opposed to really figuring out how do you parse through the platforms and, and the issues. So for the average voter, I think there's probably some concerns about that as well. But um, I I have heard a lot of people still indecisive, to be honest. And Mm -hmm. that concerns me clearly. But I think it's part of it is 
the amount of candidates we have, which I think to some extent, maybe that's something that has been elicited by rank choice, uh, right? There's many more paths to victory, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So it's going to just be interesting to really wait till the voting happens and then be able to parse through the data and the analysis and see uh, what has resulted out of it, right? My question, for instance, from those that I'm hearing, they're just saying, they're going to vote for one person. Okay, how many people actually don't implement rent choice and just vote for one candidate, right? Also, another thought that comes to mind is, well, okay, hold on. How many ballots are going to be disqualified, right? Because uh-huh. people are confused about exactly how to implement or use rank choice voting. Does that fall in particular neighborhoods, for instance, right? Um, so there's just going to be a lot of questions that I have now. So I'm going to be very interested in seeing that analysis after the whole election cycle is over. I think you hit on a couple concerns that I have definitely been having, which is um, will will voters take full advantage of ranked choice voting or not necessarily full, but at least partial? You know, you don't have to rank five candidates for every office, but at least try to rank two, three, four and up to five because your ballot can still count even if your top Mm -hmm. candidate or two gets eliminated. And we underscore that for listeners to really try to do your homework and take advantage of ranked choice voting by filling out your your full ballot and all your rankings as best possible. Um, and then what you said is, I think, a really big concern, which is, will there be a disproportionate number of voters in uh, certain communities? And we don't we don't really know what they might be or, or where they might be exactly. But will there be you know a real problem in, in certain communities where voters are only choosing one candidate for each office. And then there's a very Mm -hmm. high percentage of those ballots that are not moving around and getting the full benefit of of their rankings. And that will be very interesting to watch. But hopefully we're continuing like we're doing right now to get the word out to people to rank rank your candidates. Um, Yeah. So uh, when you when you're listening to the candidates in the mayoral race, do you feel like voters are getting a good discussion? I've, you know, we've been hearing Mayor de Blasio. He's getting peppered with questions, of course, all the time at his press briefings about who he's supporting and, you know, the race and all that. That's natural. And he said a few times, you know, he doesn't feel like he's hearing a lot from the candidates in the debates and such about vision for the city and, and such. And I, I don't particularly agree with him. But how do you assess the messaging and the and the sort of platforms that you're hearing from the candidates do you think the candidates are providing new yorkers with enough vision and enough uh you know ideas for the future i mean i think i i personally and i and i have watched the three so far Mm -hmm. uh the first one i think was the most Informative. I think the other two, in my opinion, have been pretty disastrous mm-hmm. um, I, and not helpful. And so I think that obviously, like you and myself and others, you know, in our world, uh, for the most part that we interact with daily are very high informed voters or people that are like the political nerds and just like in the weeds on this stuff and follow it very closely. But I just always try to like step back a minute and just think about, you know, what does this look like and appear like to maybe someone who is not right really tuned into the issues or maybe is just getting their information uh, from what they read in the papers or maybe what they see on TV. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think that they're there is kind of a lack of information, right? And I, I, I think it's been hard in, these, in the last two debates in particular uh, to really hear a sense of a vision. I, I, just, I just hear more what keeps co- you know, coming into my ears and just sitting there is the negativity, right? Mm-hmm. The attacks, 
they're trying to tear down, right? If it's, you know, the attacks against one or the other, and that has dominated some of these debates. And it's hard to hear, right? It's hard to hear when people are interrupting you, you turn off to it, or when people are just talking over each other um, and just trying, it's just, it's just not... A, a nice. discourse and an engagement that I particularly um, gravitate towards, right? So it, it turns me off, um, and I can imagine that it does the same to to other voters as well. So I think for, you know, it, it, I, what I've been doing, and I've been you like, like you and everybody else have been getting a million pieces of mail. Like I literally have them in a corner, <laughs> and, <laughs> and I will review them. Maybe mm-hmm. try to see if I can get some additional information. I have Good gone on websites and seen platforms. I haven't voted yet, mm-hmm. right? I'm taking a look at all the information, but, um, you know, it's, it's been a very tough cycle in many different ways. Yeah. Right. With coming, coming through, uh, at, at least partially through COVID and, and the June primary as yep. opposed to September and a lot, a lot going on that's competing for attention. As you said, it gets difficult when, uh, you turn on a debate and it's a lot of sniping and such and, and, uh, and difficult. I think for, yes. And I, I think for me, for instance, right. Someone who's been vocal on so many issues, but really my lens is always about uh, creating a more just and equitable city. Right. But as a Latina uh, and the view and the perspective of, of someone that is Latino in this city, who's bilingual and bicultural, right. I am very concerned that I feel that, within a Latino community that comprises 30% of the city's population, right, that we have not really had any sort of serious conversation or engagement by the vote, um, by the candidates and, and mm-hmm. platforms not really speaking directly. We're not monolithic, clearly. Um, and definitely every issue is an issue that is a concern to every community. But at the same time, you want to feel that the person that wants to represent this city that is vibrant and that is so diverse and speaks so many languages and is culturally so diverse, that there is a sensitivity and an awareness that we're all a part of the fabric of this city. And I am not really sensing that from any of the candidates, to be honest. And that really does dishearten me. It alarms me. It angers me and frustrates me. So to me, that's an aspect of this um, race in general, not only with the mayoral, right? We've got to take a look at other races, too. But that is clearly something that, to me, um, all of these candidates have not addressed sufficiently. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you brought that up. I was about to ask you about that. So so say more about what you would want to hear and what you, you know, if you if you could sit down the the eight leading candidates or let's say the four or five that seem to really be in the running at this point. Um, you know, if you could sit them down and, and say, uh, you know, a few of the things that you want to hear them say or, or wish they had been saying for the last few weeks or months, what, what would be a, a couple of things at the top of the list in terms of speaking more directly to Latino communities uh, in the city about, about uh, the future? You know, I think, to be honest, and, and I know that sometimes we're running campaigns as large as a mayoral, and all the uh, things, you know, you have to prioritize and all that. But no, you, you know, you really are running, right, as a, the visionary for the city and how you want to lead. I believe how you run your campaign uh, is a reflection of that. I believe where you invest your money is, is a reflection of that. 
So I don't want to see candidates pandering to us, meaning that you're not developing a relationship with the community, that maybe you decide to throw money at ads in the last three or four weeks of the race, right? This is the same argument we were having as a Latino community in terms of the Latino electorate at the national level regarding presidential debates or the Democratic Party as an institution. They were not investing in communities, right? When I think about for instance, the Puerto Rican community in Florida, which is such a large part, right, and a large electorate in that Democratic electorate in that state. And the Democratic Party would come in at the tail end of a presidential campaign, throw a couple of dollars around, and then expect, right, automatically that the community would respond. No, 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 no. It takes time to build a relationship, to be visible, to maybe, you know what, if you started to spend your ad dollars seven months ago, then we should have been part of that of that um, mm-hmm. ad buy mm-hmm. from the beginning, not in the last three weeks, that you're visible in our communities, right? That you're engaged in them, that you're speaking to these issues. You know, the candidates that have approached me, you know, I was very clear and I took a look at every single one of their platforms before I spoke to them. And I, and I, a lot of them and almost all of them that I spoke to, I said, you don't have anything on your platform, at least on the website, that specifically is addressing our immigrant communities in the city, right? Mm-hmm. And obviously, you know, and, and we are an incredible uh, number that uh, of diverse immigrant communities, but the immigrant community is very vibrant in terms of our small businesses, right? It's very vibrant in terms of, unfortunately, you know, our undocumented members of our community who feel threatened and feel scared, right? There's positives and negatives to, to the reality that we live. Um, and then the negative, negative feeling, you know, that we're not protected. So, so that the idea of like being able to incorporate that in what you're presenting, your outward face, right, towards the community and the city is important that you include aspects of that in the conversations or examples or your stories that you tell. Um, so it's about a Establishing that relationship over a period of time and, again, not swooping in at the last minute and expecting that we're automatically going to toe the line for you because mm-hmm. you just showed up in the last three weeks. You know, that to me is is really what I'm talking about. And, and right. in a grand, grander conversation or grand conversation, I think moving forward, you know, in, the, in this city, if a campaign doesn't have a structured community ethnic media strategy within their comms strategy, I believe it's deficient. You know, and I believe it's it's really um, uh, irresponsible at this mm. point. And I don't think that that aspect of campaigning, it, that is not really incorporated into campaigns and, and fully embraced. And I think that that's something I'm hoping we will see change moving forward. Mm-hmm. So we, we don't know at this point um, really how the Latino vote in the city will split up among the candidates or if any of the leading candidates will get, you know, a very large percentage of, of Latino votes. Voters, but some several high-profile uh, Latino elected officials are backing Eric Adams's campaign. What 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 do you make of that? Uh, he he definitely is more moderate on a lot of issues than yourself. Uh, for example, uh, as you said, obviously Latino Latinos and Latino voters are no monolith, no group is. Um, but what do you make of sort of some of the city's biggest Latino leaders, elected officials, uh, supporting his campaign? Look, I mean, that helps, but I think that that that's not enough, right, because it's, 
you, it, like I said, there's other aspects to running a campaign, right? That that really is an example. Like, who are you hiring uh, in the top management? Who's who's making? Who's developing your strategy? You know? So, having surrogates obviously always important in a campaign. It's not everything. Uh, I think it's about how do you in, uh, again not tokenizing us, right? And and making sure that what you're saying, what is on your platform, what you're putting out there to the world is fully reflective of uh, embracing all aspects of the city. And and I think that that's something that we all have a responsibility. And those of us who support candidates, right, and have endorsed candidates, those are things we must demand of them as well, that they, they show up and that they stand up consistently, right, and that they're going to be accountable to us. And I'm hoping those are conversations that candidates have been having. I mean, I'm sorry, that, that the surrogates and those that have endorsed are having with these candidates right. moving forward. And, and I don't so, mean to give the impression by any means that Eric Adams is the only one with, with support from high profile profile Latino officials or groups. I mean, that's not the case. Maya Wiley also has some support and, you know, there is, there is a split of, of support, but also, you know, Eric Adams has, uh, you know, Ruben Diaz Jr. and uh, Adriano Espaillat and, you know, there's, there's some significant uh, Latino. And he seems to have consolidated more of the Latino mm-hmm. support. I mean, yeah. I would agree with you there, right? So, um, goes without saying. So, so yeah, it, but, mm-hmm. but I think it's all these other elements that, unfortunately, I also haven't really heard a lot about in the analysis or the conversations, even from Latino reporters themselves. Mm. And, um, and, and that's, you know, people, some people will, when I have these conversations, some might poo-poo it and be like, oh, that's identity positive. No, it's not, right? That's mm. not, that is not at all uh, what we're talking about. Like, as I said at the beginning, every issue is an issue that matters to our neighbors, right? We care about education. We care about safety. We care about uh, housing, right? But there has to be a sense that you're being seen, right, as, as a campaign is doing outreach and is formulating its positions. And and there is an extra challenge to that, obviously, here in the city of New York, because we are so incredibly diverse. You know, Queens alone, we hear the stories, right, of how many languages are spoken and uh, the diversity that exists throughout. So, but that's the challenge. And being an effective leader is really about that, is about being able to, to analyze the landscape to analyze the reality that you are and will be entrusted uh, to lead and and being able to to do that effectively so um, is there someone in the in the in the mayoral race is there someone who you feel has put forward the best sort of platform and vision for uh, latino communities or or for the city writ large that you've heard from not necessarily an endorsement of anybody but just somebody you've you know you feel like has put together the best vision for the future I mean, look, I, I haven't endorsed, and I'm still, to be honest, very honestly deliberating, mm-hmm. right, about what my ranks are going to be, because I, mm-hmm. I, I am uh, taking this very seriously. But I will say, again, in, in looking at, and I, I've only looked at those platforms exhaustively of those who have approached me and that I've actually had a sit down with, which has been around four or five. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll, I'll take a look at the other ones uh, before before I vote. But... Um, I believe, like, in terms of looking at language, and and I thought Sean Donovan, I felt a, a, a little bit like was recognizing that, um, and and Diane Morales's, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I I really felt her platform was the most, in terms of all the issues that I've been discussing with you about. When I read her platform, there was an understanding of things that 
um, should be really kind of like second nature for anybody that wants to run the city of New York. When you talk about cultural competency across city agencies, that's a very real thing. Like we, I, I can't believe that to this day and age we're still fighting, right? That city agencies have to have a level of cultural competency when they're interacting with the diversity that exists in the city. But that is still a reality. I mean, I was fighting that when I was speaker, right? And we had to do that. And I'm, I'm sure it's still being fought today, that that issue of language access, of cultural competency, because it's not just a matter of, of going to Google Translate, right, and translating something. No, no, there's, there's, a, there's a real um, seriousness that has to be taken in terms of, of the city services that are being provided, how to navigate the system, and making sure that your material and your outreach is, is reflecting, right, those nuances. So the idea of being, having candidates being able to talk about, no, cultural competency is going to be a priority of my administration, and this is how I'm going to do it, that, that stuff speaks to me. Now, again... I am like, you know, I'm in the weeds on this stuff. A policy <laughs> wonk is you maybe, you know. Mm-hmm. So, but to me, that also is going to be something that translates in terms of how you're going to lead the city. And that's the kind of stuff that I want to see more consistently is that level of understanding, acknowledgement um, of the complexities of the city and then how you're going to manage and how you're going to move the city forward. We unfortunately have just one more minute here. Mm-hmm. I want to sneak in one more question. Um, yeah. When you see the folks leading in the polls, uh, Andrew Yang, Eric Adams, Catherine Garcia running on, you know, fairly moderate to almost conservative platforms on, on things related to criminal justice, when you see um, some of the talk about delaying the closure of Rikers Island, possibly, are you worried in this mayoral race about some of your legacy as speaker where you took the city, you know, being sort of undone by the next mayor? Yes. I'm not going to lie, right? I mean, I have never made being an elected office about me because I believe that the issues that I've championed and moved forward are ones that are really advancing the, the issue of equity and justice, right? That we know that communities of color have been over-criminalized, over-policed, that we got to right the system and deal with systemic racism, which is basically deeply ingrained in institutions and the justice system and the criminal justice system clearly is a part of that. So I, I believe that... The work around the closing of Rikers Island is a key aspect of my legacy because it really was, you know, struck at the heart of that issue of systemic racism. So, yes, not hearing, and that's probably one of the reasons I'm also very, have been very hesitant to, to support a candidate is because I haven't heard any candidate, right, really having a vision, a vision around the issue of justice and how do you write the system, but also like talking about, I think they're trying to have it both ways. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to close Rikers Island. Oh, but no, I'm not, I'm not supportive of the community based facilities, right? right? You, right. you can't, that's, that's not a leadership position, right? So that's, a, that's been an issue. Yeah. Understood. No, I understood. And that's been a, a key observation I, I've shared with you. Absolutely. Uh, former city council speaker, Melissa Margarito, wish we had uh, even more time, but thank you for the time. And uh, and we'll be I'll be curious to, to follow up with you uh, once the election results are in and we'll see where the city looks like it's heading. But thank you for the time. Thank you, Ben. Thank you so much. Uh, OK. All right. All right. 